The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my guest co-host, Mike Cush Cushenberry. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Cush, uh, how are things in sunny Arizona? It is. Uh, it's getting sunny. It's getting nicer, a little cloudy, but there's uh, a lot of wind out here currently which we were we were not expecting coming here from uh you know windy san luis obispo but i gotta say you know the trails are dry we live in a a vacation resort and the trails are open and lots of people out riding so it's uh no snow as i've seen on the east coast (laughs) so it's uh it's good (laughs) nice and what sort of elevation are you at again five thousand feet we are oh, so we're it's the, pretty dry up there. I mean, especially for Arizona, but yeah, it is a dry desert. It is, uh, you know, it's, it's for those in, in, uh, you know, in SoCal and I'm sure everyone knows it's, it's like mammoth 5,000 feet, pine trees, dry, dusty and fresh air. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure if I get to call it winter, but uh, the uh, the same weather that we had in January is back here. It's like 50 degrees and it was uh, misting and foggy and overcast this morning. And now it's just um, cloudy. <laughs> who knows what it's doing? There's talk we're going to have uh, rain this weekend. So we have rain Monday. Who knows what happened? Rain Monday here uh, is what they're saying. Light ahead. rain. But, you know, it, it's it's good. Excellent. Well, so uh, before we get to your poll, uh, since Paceliners haven't really uh, heard you on the show before, I'm sure some of them know who you are. Why don't you give everybody a quick rundown on your background? Well, as um, yeah, Paceliners may or may not know if they've read read Cycling Independent. I'm the editor in chief. Um, come from a long background of cycling journalism, started in 94 at Mountain Bike Action, went through the ranks of bike magazine, bicycling, mountain bike, um, ran dirt rag for five years, did some marketing stuff, and here I am with Cycling Independent and now a guest on the Pace Line. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, Alrighty. Well, with that out of the way, what are you going to pull on today? I would like to talk about trail etiquette. It's kind of been a a, a bit of a, a hot point, I think, with changing with so many new riders coming out there. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of um, developed from taking a hike back in my my old hometown of Orange County, California at a very popular, very, very popular cycling 
area where I grew up, actually grew up riding my mountain bike and spent countless hours and days out there and going back out there. It's just so much different, so much grown up and so many trail users and they Mm -hmm. just have no etiquette these days. And I feel like it's not being taught to all these new riders that are coming out there. Mm -hmm. So that's, so I'm curious, you know, like when I was coming up, uh, certainly there were shops that were taking people out and teaching them, taking them on rides, uh, you know, helping them learn about, you know, the brakes and the shifting and everything else. Um, but it was more the clubs in my area that were better known for doing that. When you were coming up, who did you look to for your education? It was just kind of um, learning through the, the the veteran riders and the older riders. And I think it, it was more, you know, reading publications, IMBA. And there was just, I think it was just more open then where it was, there was the, you know, that's, um, rider, horse riders, hikers, then cyclists. And I think nobody's mm-hmm. teaching that anymore. And because we were, you know, out on, on a, on a very flat trail and just, and the new riders, they're coming in there. There are groups of new riders who are not really teaching them what to do. And they're just, they come blasting by, they don't say anything, you know, on your left or they just, you know, buzz you. And I mean, they're not going that fast because they're, they're a little skittish and kind of not mm-hmm. sure how to handle the bike, but they come just so close and they're, they're, you know, there are horses, there are kids, families who are walking on these trails and they don't even say anything. They don't give an alert. Hey, coming up. And I think in a place here, which it might sound elitist, but it's not here in Prescott, most of the riders are experienced and out on the trails, Mm -hmm. they give you a warning, you know, Hey, rider coming, we're coming up. And it's, I feel like some of these places that are more easy to ride on that it's just not happening. Mm -hmm. And no, no one is showing these riders or telling them how, you know, the rules of the trail and they're, they're not really rules. It's just etiquette. And and that's the biggest thing. Basic consideration. Consideration. And, you know, I would, luckily there were no horses on the trail because things Mm -hmm. could have went bad real fast. If someone who doesn't know what they're doing, just blast by a Mm -hmm. horse. And that, that's just real bad. Yeah. I, a a frightened horse is a thing not to behold. Uh, I've, I've seen that and it was, uh, pretty scary. Um, and that was without anybody going, you know, full idiot in front of the horse. It was just an especially skittish horse. Um, you know, a question for you. I've long been uh, speaking of skittish. <laughs> I've long been skittish of trying to talk to people who, you know, so, say somebody buzzes me, um, you know, say I'm I'm going slowly up a climb, taking it easy. And somebody comes by six inches away I tend not to react super well to that. Um, And I know that if I've been a little irritated by somebody doing that, talking to them after that, I'm not all that likely to use my best friendliest voice. 
Um, and so knowing that about myself, I just don't say anything at all. Um, I'll grumble inside, but I won't go up to him and say, you know, you ought to, um, how do you usually handle that? I think most of us, you know, we just don't say anything because we're in general, you know, we're experienced writers or are nicer and nice people. And it's, you know, it, we just kind of like, I've never really, I haven't confronted anyone unless they, which has never happened, but unless they actually hit me, then, then uh-huh. there, then there's going to be a battle. You know, you could do, you know, you could obviously do the, <laughs> that old road race trick where if somebody comes too close, you know, and, and a, a rookie rider that just buzzes you and you just put your hand on their hip and push them. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that old road, road racing trick to get someone out of your way. But, you know, if you did that yeah. to someone, a newbie on the trail that when you're hiking and they can come too close, they would just carcass. So I yeah. try and not use that, that old <laughs> adage of, of, uh, trail discipline. But I think it's, it's, it's more just, educating riders and i was you know talking to the rangers at this at this park in in socal and they were they admitted they're like you know it's a, it's a struggle and they're making brochures about trail etiquette and they're trying to mm-hmm. hand them out so it's just a lot of about education which i think is growing and we're just you know uh-huh. when riders are going to riding clinics and i think that that should be a major part of if you go to any any of these, uh, you know, riding camps, and there's a lot of them coming up, <laughs> gravel camps, mountain bike camps, is that that should be part of the whole around the campfire. Sit down and <laughs> tell you know, hey, you know, here's here's trail etiquette. Here's horses first, hikers, and then cyclists. And yeah. rider uphill always has the right of way, not the downhiller. Which, you know, going back a few years, you know, downhillers always thought that my Strava is more important than your climbing. But, right. you know, it's way easier to stop, except unless you're out of control and you should always be in control unless, you, unless you're on a race course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's funny how there's this sensibility that, you know, whoever's going fastest has the right of way. But, well, maybe that's not the best way to handle things. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, a lot of people have said that there, there's kind of this, um, well, I'm not personally, I like e-bikes. I'm not an e-biker, but e-bikes, again, are not the problem. It's the education. It's a lot of people are going faster on e-bikes. And if they're educated mm-hmm. about the rules of the trail, it's not going to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I around here, I got to say, we've been really fortunate. I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the local community here uh, is pretty dedicated and, you know, mostly reasonably experienced. And when we see less experienced riders uh, in the park, they're on a lot of the bigger trails, uh, not the really tight single track. And I think that we have enough of a population that, you know, someone who's new is going to interact with enough different riders. They start picking up on, uh, you know, saying hi, telling how many more people are going to pass them. 
that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, I have a friend here in uh, in Prescott who he'd probably like to hear me give him a give him a a little hello. Um, Harv Brian Roberts, and he is uh, he's very active in the in the cycling community here, and he is he gets he I mean he gets angry if people don't wave mm. back. He waves to everyone. He says hi, hey, how's it going? He greets every <laughs> single rider on the trail. And when they don't, when nice. they ignore him, lift their head down and just charge in. He just, he just like, okay, then like he always has some kind of, I mean, it might not be the best reaction. He has some kind of smart aleck reaction, but it's, but I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's, um, as a motorcycle rider, I mean, I ride a Harley and we're supposed to be the biggest mm-hmm. buttholes in the world. But you know, when you're on <laughs> On a motorcycle, we all give everyone the wave, that one finger wave, no matter. And mm-hmm. I mean, everyone like I've never it's seldom that you don't get the wave from you're riding a Harley, a Honda, a moped. You know, it, everyone on two wheels on the road gives that little one finger wave. And, you know, oh. it's just odd being on a bike on a bicycle when you don't get when you wave and you don't get that wave back. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that. I, I, I try not to get annoyed and I think generally I don't, but every now and then like I'll give somebody a wave and they just don't even acknowledge me going by. And it's like, well, that's a bummer. Uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I have, I have a friend who, when he was living in Boulder and Boulder was, you know, covered with cyclists, he would actually turn around and go after people. It's like, dude, why didn't you wave? Know, I've heard those stories before, <laughs> not necessarily him, but I've heard stories from riders who do that. Like, like pro riders elite because someone is like too, some amateurs too cool to wave at, you know, some world tour rider. And they just, they're like, you know, what the heck? Oh man, I can't, you know, I just can't even imagine like back when I was a young new writer, if like Davis Finney waved at me and I didn't wave back and Davis Finney chased me down. That would be quite the story. Um, yeah. (laughs) Um, well, I mean, you know, generally I like to end on a more positive note. I mean, for listeners, you know, if they encounter somebody, you know, any helpful uh, advice for them? Yeah. I, I, yeah, just wave to anyone on a bike. That's, that's the big thing, whatever they're riding, you know, e-bike, road bike, gravel bike, um, commuter, anyone on two wheels, Mm -hmm. give them a wave, say hello, stop. If someone's on the side of the road, stop and they need a tube, man, I've given out tubes so many, so many times. I don't even know I mean, you just, it's something you do. And I'll tell you a quick, oh, I'll yeah. tell you a quick little story. Um, okay. When I was in, in SoCal, when I lived in, in, um, Anaheim Hills, I had to ride one of my usual rides went through, uh, went through like the, the depths of Santa Ana and a lot of gang members there. And, um, there was a guy who was, he had a flat tire and no tube. Cause he was on a bike. I stopped and Hey, you need some help. You need a tube help. And I'm in full Lycra 
and he, you know, he's in baggies and not, and I don't mean mountain bike baggies, but like, you know, and <laughs> right. I'm like, Hey, you know, can I give you a hand? And he thanked me. And that one little good deed, like I had, I knew I had like full protection every time I rode through like that, that area, I, uh-huh. I had full protection <laughs> just because I did a good deed. Like I, yeah. I didn't run away or like, I'm like, Hey, that that that's someone on two wheels who needs help. He doesn't have a tube. I have a tube and a pump. Gonna give yeah. this guy a hand. So I think yeah. it just comes to if you're helping someone on two wheels, it goes a long way, and that's what we should be doing. No matter who we are, who you know, any perceived concepts of who they are or anything like that, it's give someone a hand. Yeah, very much. Cool. Alrighty, well, we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by the Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on Support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. All right, we are back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your pull, Patrick. Tell me what you're liking this week. Well, so last weekend I drove to Auburn up in Gold Country for an event I've done several times before, the Tour de Placer Roubaix. It's a gravel event. I I mean, honestly, like five weeks ago, I didn't think I'd be putting numbers on anything just yet. I didn't think I was going to do this event at all this year because normally it happens in January or February. So I just figured, you know, with its normal date being passed, it wouldn't be held at all. But instead, uh, organizer Jay Gerard postponed the event until just this past lat- uh, toy boat, just this past uh, Saturday. Previously, the ride was a charity event to raise money for the local NICA team. Uh, but this year, he switched allegiances, and the beneficiary was Auburn's Bike Park, which uh, the event started at and finished at. And it was, uh, it's a pretty neat little bike park. I think I might need to make an extra excursion out there just to visit that at some point. Um, <laughs> after the event was over, I was in no shape to do any laps. <laughs> but, uh, I believe the last two times I rode uh, the Tour de Place Roubaix, there were about 400 people riding it. Uh, so it was a pretty reasonable population for a bunch of dirt roads. Not totally packed up, but enough that you're kind of around people at all times. This year, because of precautions uh, due to the pandemic, there were only 100 participants. So a very small crew. And there were certainly times where I was all alone and didn't see any other riders around. Uh, Once again, though, uh, Jay changed the early part of the course and 
one of the funny things was I found myself writing sections of the flume trails uh, that I'd written previously, but this was on the outbound section of the course, and I was riding these sections of trail in the opposite direction I'd ridden them previously. So I, it was a little confusing and kind of delightfully so, I gotta say. Um, but that's one of the things about that ride that is really so neat. So there are all these flumes that the gold miners created, you know, more than 100 years ago. Uh, there's still water running through them. I'm not really sure what they're used for today, but there's single track lining almost all of them around. And so we spent a lot of time uh, covering sections of of the course. Uh, you know, you'd occasionally cross the road, but it was nice, quiet, single track, um, very well kept, uh, really neat part of the course. Um, and uh, previously, because I'd ridden it in the winter, um, I had never had the experience of seeing what sort of wildflowers grow along the course. And this year, man, there was so much lupin and so many California poppies. You know, it's like all I had to do was turn my head and I was either going to see orange or purple, orange or purple, uh, and sometimes orange with the purple. It was just really gorgeous. The whole descent of Yankee Jim Road, which is this gravel descent, uh, down to this rickety old bridge uh, over the American River. It was the whole way down. The this hillside next to me was lined with lupin and California poppies. Um, <laughs> now, I'd never experienced climbing out of that canyon with nearly summer-like heat, uh, and that was a little bit of a shocker. <laughs> um, uh, that's the warmest I've felt this year by quite uh, quite a bit. Um, and, you know, but still, it's it was gorgeous. You're looking down in this river canyon, you know, the big sandy colored boulders. You can hear the water running. You see people on kayaks and whatnot. <laughs> and you maybe occasionally feel like maybe I should be down in the water instead of doing this. Um, it was, yeah, really something. There's another climb late in the event uh, called Stagecoach. And it is quite literally the route that the old stagecoaches used to take through there. Um, and that climb gets a little steep at times. A couple of years ago, uh, when it was raining, it was raining hard enough that rocks were washing down that climb. Uh, that made for some, some lively traction. But uh, this year, I don't know, it was maybe one o'clock in the afternoon when I hit that. And... <laughs> It was it was really warm. Um, it was to me, it was officially summer uh, on that part of the course. Um, the thing about that event, though, the reason I keep going back is I'm really bad at just creating situations to go ride someplace different. I'm not the guy who will get up Saturday morning and think, you know, I'm going to drive to whatever Kelseyville and go do a loop. I'm not that guy. Uh, I stay close to home. So events like the Tour de Place Roubaix, because they'll take me places that I wouldn't find on my own. Um, and they take in, you know, gravel roads that, you know, I might not be able to discern whether or not I can ride them uh, from a map. Uh, doing events like the Place Roubaix, it's just such a great way to go out and see someplace different. 
Um, you know, I, I hope that I encounter some more stuff like that this year that I haven't done before. What, uh, what bike did you choose for that? Um, I was on the, uh, the factor that I've, I've got here. Um, SRAM red axis, um, a 3333 low gear, which given my current condition, not enough, not enough. Um, I was on some, uh, some envy wheels that I'll be reviewing actually for the second time, uh, and running the big Goodyear connector, 40 millimeter tire. And I had those, uh, fairly low in pressure and managed on, uh, one of the descents to actually punch a rock pretty hard, hard enough to feel it hit, you know, bottom out the rim against the rock through the tire. I didn't get a flat and I didn't do anything discernible to the rim at all. Uh, so the bike was bummer, but yeah, um, low gears, California, we need them. <laughs> did you do anything? Uh, did you do anything special about, did you carry like, a? A water pack or bag? Did you just go with bottles? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I took two small bottles and that proved to be a mistake. Um, I think there was one rest stop fewer than in previous years and there was no drink mix. So when I got to the finish, uh, my green TCI jersey had um, a rather, rather funky dusting of white all over it. Um, yeah, I, I was not sufficiently hydrated on that. Right. And, you know, with the extra heat, you're going to sweat more. Um, I definitely needed more. I should have brought a hydration pack with me. That really would have been the smart thing to do. I just didn't know. Um, I figured there'd be a little bit more of a stop, but they did still have the rest stop with the quesadillas, man. Cheese and bacon quesadillas. I, you know, and they had a, a bunch of lawn chairs set up. I sat down in a lawn chair for a few minutes, enjoyed myself. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's just such a pretty area. What's it take for you to decide without, you know, without having something that you're going to pin a number on, what's it take for you to decide I'm going to get in the car and go, go drive to this place and go right over here. Some place that's say more than an hour away. I think these days it's just good friends and someone saying, Hey, let's go out and, and do a ride. I think mm -hmm. that's what, because I, I mean, I spent so many years driving my car to, you know, race a bike race and traveling in planes to go to exotic bike races, which I love. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was amazing. <laughs> right. But you know, these days I just ride out my door. I've always chosen places. We've always, wife and I have always chosen, chosen places where we can hike or walk or ride right from our door. But now it's, you know, if I usually ride by myself, but if, you know, if there's friends who say, Hey, you know, there's this new place, let's, uh, let's go for a ride. And I think, mm -hmm. um, if Joe Murray is listening, we've talked a lot about riding and he's in Flagstaff and he's supposed to either come here and I'm either supposed to go and meet him. So, you know, nice. That, that's, that's kind of the, that, that's the thing is, is riding with good friends and, and making it like an adventure. I, I'm mm -hmm. totally open to, I would, I would, if I'm going to drive someplace, I would like make it an overnight trip, go out there, you know, hang out 
and and just enjoy it, have a good dinner, have a couple beers, and not have to worry about driving home after the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of the the biggest was the biggest thing because I've driven home from so many way back when races oh when you just wiped out. Yeah, with a yeah. with a Big Mac on your stomach because that's all you could find. Parked in some corner of a convenience store parking lot, trying to take a nap for an hour so that you don't fall asleep at the wheel because you've just finished an 80 mile road race. No, never done that. Never. Not not, no. Uh-uh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. You know, the funny thing is I, I look back and love those times. Those times were just so adventurous and so much fun. Yeah. I mean, you have to admit it, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, I have this weird sort of nostalgia for getting back from some of those central California road races and, uh, you know, taking the first few things inside, grabbing a bite to eat and then getting back out to my car, which has been sitting baking in the sun for a half an hour now, opening it up and then having that smell of a uh, cow poo that you rode through. Uh, just emanating from the car. And it's like, yeah, I almost missed that. <laughs> and waking up, waking up the next day with the worst stomach ache from whatever you <sighs> took in during the race. And after <laughs> I won't talk about that kind of stuff, but yeah, you know, yeah. But just waking yeah. up the next morning, like, Oh my God, I feel so bad. <laughs> just not wanting to get out of bed because your legs hurt so bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's something I definitely need more of. Yeah. Uh, uh, all righty. Well, hey, let's move on to the paceline picks. Uh, what do you have for us? Uh, I think this week I am going to talk about the uh, evil Shammy Hagar. It is oh. it's become my favorite bike right now. I know yeah. it, I have a huge mountain bike background, but man, I ride that bike everywhere out here. Just because, take the road, get on some some sweet single track. Because we have a lot of, I guess you would call it maybe intermediate single track. Uh-huh. It is very good for a gravel bike, and this thing handles like a mountain bike. It's fast. It's quick. It's it's unlike any. I I used to. Uh, man, I remember you know back in the day. I always talk about back in the day, but uh, you know doing <laughs> Iron Cross in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Uh, on a cyclocross bike, which is set up like my road bike, which basically means a 130 millimeter stem, <laughs> you know, it, it yep. almost stretched you know, out as much as possible. Yeah. In my road position. And I look back now and go, man, how did I ride that thing down all that stupid stuff? Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a lot of climbing and et cetera. But on the chamois, it's I have a 90 mil. It, it's made. It's a you know it's a gravel bike with a 90 mil stem which Mm -hmm. even evil says that's too long you need a 50 but 90 is perfect (laughs) and okay it just rails a single track and it's super stiff it feels great on the road i love it i need to get back on my mountain bike at some point now i remember it's made with a really unusually slack head tube angle relative to gravel bikes much closer to like uh, a modern mountain bike correct Yes, it has a 66.67 head tube, and I think the seat <laughs> tube is 73 on, on my okay. medium. So, uh-huh. yeah, and, uh, and uh, I can't remember the, the length of the top tube, but it's kind of like 
rem- reminiscent of um, the Fisher Super Caliber. Remember when those came out? Uh-huh. Yeah, I actually do. (laughs) And you had to run a 90 mil stem, which was that was in 1999. And it was just so much different from everything we were running. And I (laughs) I wrote I raced that bike for four years without changing. I changed parts every year, but not the frame or the stem. But just because that kind of geometry works so well. And you put that on a gravel bike and it is amazing. Like it just shreds single tracks. So much fun. Huh? I mean, do you think that other manufacturers are going to take a look at that and go, you know, yeah, let's slacken out the head tube bangle some more on our gravel bike? I don't think anyone's going to go that extreme. I know Cervelo is doing a, theirs is not quite that slack, but they're they're definitely considered a a high-end race gravel bike. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that the evil is as well, because like I said, it's it's very stiff. You get it on the road and it's, on the road sections, it is fast and stiff, and it feels like a high-end, stiff road bike. So maybe that's why I think it's it's like, for me, it's kind of the perfect storm. Uh-huh. It feels like when a high-end you're... racing road bike mixed uh-huh. with a downhill bike. What does it feel like when you're cornering on the road, given how different the handling geometry is? Um, you know, what's it feel like to carve into a corner? It takes a little extra effort. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the, I mean, I would, but I wouldn't feel comfortable (laughs) doing like the, you know, the Sunday morning crit or Sunday morning world championships on it because you Uh really have to know you have to, it's not going to carve as tight. So Uh you just have to be a little more aware, but I've had no issues descending because I come down off of like Thumb Butte. If anyone knows that the Thumb Butte road, which is you know, however many hundreds of feet on the road, if I come down that way and mm-hmm. it's, it's fine. You can, you can still carve. The only place where I think the only place I, I'm a little uncomfortable is mm-hmm. we have a really long ro- uh, fire road descent that is rough and choppy and you yeah. get kind of beat up coming. Cause it's so stiff. You get, I get pretty beat up coming down that, but it's a fair trade. <laughs> and you know i'd love a dropper post on a gravel bike yeah you know it's hard to go back isn't it because i it helps me hit the single track just better and harder because you're <laughs> not as as my friend mark weir would say high you're a high poster <laughs> you know you can get low and you're and again <laughs> because i always ride in the drops when i'm riding technical stuff on my on gravel or cross oh yeah and with a dropper yeah, yeah. You know, you're not you're not way over the bars because I run my bars really low <laughs> for the, my road position. But with a dropper, you can run the same position and just get so low and just handle the single track. Yeah, I mean, I I do ride with a higher bar position relative to a road bike. But even so, you know, uh, having the dropper post, uh, it's you know, I've got that on my allied and it's really wonderful. The funny thing that I noticed when I was up in Mendo was that, you know, because I got used to using it on the steep sections, I just became very accustomed to always dropping the saddle. The moment the road was going downhill. Do you do that as well? Has it become kind of that automatic for you? It's like, Oh, I'm going downhill time to lower the saddle. 
I've definitely done that when I'm on the road. I mean, like I said, just, you know, previously that on the dirt, of course, but even on the road and I'm actually, that could be, this could be a whole nother conversation about how I'm surprised that, you know, with, with the banning of the super tuck and all the rules on, on the, on the world tour that, (laughs) you know, roadies pro roadies aren't actually adopting. They tried for a little bit, but aren't actually fully adopting a dropper post. There's a weight limit on the bikes. They can hit the weight limit, I'm sure, with a dropper post. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, going down the road, you just drop the post and you're sitting on your saddle and you're just low right right down on your on your uh, top tube and your stem. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure that the UCI would find some way to f- just find dropper post illegal, right? Those guys. They, yeah, that's <laughs> an advantage. Your socks are too high. Your dropper post has too much drop. <laughs> what a world we live in. Okay. My what's pick. Your pick? Yeah. What's your pick? So my pick this week is a helmet that I mentioned on a previous show and have reviewed on the cycling independent, the Lamar air pro mips. This is a $230 helmet with features that I often see in $300 helmets. It uses the next generation of mips, which doesn't require that plastic liner we've seen inside of helmets. So this uses a different sort of anchor for the helmet pads, anchors them, you know, into the helmet uh, by so, something other than, you know, little sticky pads. Um, and that's how the, the MIPS works on this helmet. Uh, and as a result, well, the reason I'm bringing this up today, <laughs> two days ago, I'm riding my bike on the bike path here and I had two bees fly into my helmet within a second of each other. It was the strangest thing to encounter because, you know, it was two individual beasts. It's not like I was around a swarm and two two of them happened to get caught in my helmet. It was one and then beat and then another. And I shook my head for a moment to try and judge if they were still in there. And if I needed to pull over to get them out, uh, I didn't exactly want to get a bee sting. Um, They were both already gone. And I attribute that uh, to two things with this helmet. One, the second generation MIPS that I just uh, mentioned. And then the fact that the cross braces in the helmet are made from carbon fiber. So there's more room than usual uh, above the head for some winged beast to fly into the helmet and then get pushed out the back with the rest of the wind. Um, They were just immediately through the helmet. I could feel them, you know, kind of hit the helmet as they went in. but the moment I went to shake my head and see if they were still there, already gone. And I was very pleased by that. Um, I, I have this fear that one of these days my number is going to be up with uh, bee sting allergies. Um, I've got a lot of other allergies and I've been lucky where bee stings are concerned. But that's a sensitization issue. So I'm always concerned about that final bee sting that sets me over the edge and I go into anaphylactic shock or at least start swelling. Um, so yeah, I liked that about this helmet. Um, which plus one? it's a good looking helmet. Hmm? Which, uh, which style did you go with? Do you have visor? Uh, Do they make a mountain bike or is this pure road? This is, this is a regular road helmet. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's got a nice, uh, clean, sleek look like most of the other helmets that you see in the pro Peloton. Um, yeah, it's, a it's a, 
very minimal design and the the lines of it are are really nice it's a very attractive helmet yeah Yeah. i like that because even even uh i mean mountain biking i wear which is it's kind of weird but mountain biking i wear you know a a cross-country style but with more coverage but Uh on my gravel bike when i'm almost doing almost not entirely but almost doing the same stuff i wear a road helmet so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a quirk that I have that I need to get over. <laughs> well, for me, the thing that I notice is if I go out on a gravel bike, you know, there's going to be a point at which I probably hit about 25 miles an hour on some, you know, some drop. And there comes a point where if I'm going quickly enough, the wind will catch the visor and start pushing it around. And that's the point at which I decide I'm going to wear a road helmet. Um, yeah. So uh, gravel bikes, I do still wear road helmets. That's agreeable with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, everybody keep questions coming. Uh, you all send us great stuff. Uh, when you do send it, <laughs> uh, if you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Rady with Mike Cushenberry. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.